You've heard me talk about this before, but I'm going to do a little bit again this morning. Eleven years ago, the Open Door Church was called into existence by God through the faith and the obedience of seven courageous people who I think at the time just didn't know any better. We were pretty sure it's what we were supposed to do. We didn't have any idea how. We knew that 96% of church plants that are funded fail in the first two years and we had no money. We decided we were going to be a church before we had a place to meet. I don't know that we had a great plan, but we had great faith. Seven people decided to open the doors, and we didn't know if anybody would show up, but we had a vision and we had a mission for what God had called us to be. We asked that God would be with us. We asked that God would bless us. We asked that God would give us an opportunity to reach the people in our community with the good news of Jesus. And we knew that if he did those things, that God would lead us into a future that only he could prepare us for, that we couldn't be ready for at the time. I think if we would have thought about any of this, we would have had second thoughts going, hey, we're the wrong people. But we opened the doors that first Sunday, trusting that God would lead us into whatever it was that he had called us to, whatever that, that future might be. And so on that very first Sunday that we gathered, was the first time, and it's been done every Sunday for 11 years since, that I said the three things. Why are those so important? Because in part, it's our promise to you. It's also our grounding. Nothing is more important here than teaching the truth of God's Word, being people of prayer, because that is where the only true power in the world lies, is through prayer and a relationship with Jesus and worship, because God says we're going to spend all of eternity in heaven worshiping Him. If nothing else happens on a Sunday morning, we're going to do those three things. They happen in a lot of different ways, but they always happen. And so we started off with that, and we just said, God, would you bless us with the opportunity for however long you've called us into being, would you bless us with the opportunity to reach the people in these communities that we live in with the truth of the good news of salvation in Jesus? And I say the truth of the good news of salvation in Jesus because there's a lot of places to go to church, but there's not a lot of places to understand the good news of salvation in Jesus. And that's what it's about. And that was our simple prayer. That's really all that we asked for. Back then, we thought we were being really bold. We prayed for a territory 17 miles around where we were gathering. I've been told that, that 15 miles, if you live in a city, 15 miles is the, is the effective area of your ministry reach. So we thought, let's be crazy. Let's go for 17 miles. It wasn't shortly, uh, it wasn't long after that that a couple arrived and the lady said, we're from like 37 miles. They're here this morning. They remember this. We're here from like 37 miles away. Does that mean we're not welcome? I went, no, you're welcome. We just had a little bit of a too small a vision. Do you remember that? She's looking at me like she doesn't remember. She asked me that question. Judy asked me that question. And we realized that, you know, God was doing something that was way bigger than any of us. All that we want to do was to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. So 17 miles was too small, and then we knew that we had to be a place that had a global interest and a global reach, because that's what Jesus calls us to, is the corners of the earth. Well, we got to that first Sunday, and 46 people showed up. Just for perspective's sake, that's how many were just on the platform. That filled the church that we were meeting in at the time. So we thought, okay, this might work. What's next Sunday going to be? 42 showed up. And I knew we needed a new preacher at that point. We had four less. That's 10%. <laughs> and here we are 11 years later. 
four worship spaces, five if you count outside our, our outdoor worship spot here. We've got people who come from a lot further than 17 miles away. And the reach that we have into the communities and into the world around us continues to grow. And we survived one global pandemic and we still are here preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus and salvation in his name. God knows what he's doing. Did we have a great plan? No, we just had tremendous faith. We knew that God knew all the answers to the questions we didn't even know to ask. And we were willing to step forward and to be used by God. So here we are 11 years later. We're still preaching the truth of God's word. We're still loving God's people. And God continues to be with us, keeping ourselves focused on reaching people in his name. So in 11 years, yes, we have grown. But our foundation, who we are, has not changed. Our original vision and mission has not changed. So that very first Sunday, I, I wondered, what, what am I going to preach on? What, what in the world? And I, I realized it was a really a simple choice. It would be Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Why? Because that is a snapshot in just a few verses of the best of the Christian church that God planted here on earth. It's the very best of what the Christian church can be. And so for 11 years, every fall, I have preached that text over and over and over. Not the same message, but the same text. Because the text grows as we grow, and its meaning grows, and its depth gets richer as we understand it as our congregation grows. And all that we've tried to do in those 11 years is to live out these words to be this kind of a church. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47 we're studying Acts. We hit this chapter a while ago, but we're going to go back this morning. And they devoted themselves. This is the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. That's our three things. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They realized that the cause of the gospel reaching the world with Jesus' name was the most important thing that they could be about. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That's where we get the idea for our life groups. It isn't our idea, it's God's idea. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. One of the things that God has blessed us with over 11 years is that we have been able to continue to grow. But part of the blessing is that we have grown relatively slowly. We've grown at a rate that he's always allowed us to be creative and to figure out how it is that we can fit into whatever space it is that he's made available for us. When we were in our first church, we had nowhere to go. We had no idea. There was nothing available. And suddenly there was a place and it became what is now our North 40. And we worshiped in both sides of that building. It still is the place where our, our youth ministry happens for the older kids on Wednesdays. It's where Recovery Church is growing and thriving on Fridays. It still is a home for preaching the good news of Jesus. And God continues to bless us, even though we really haven't changed anything about those core commitments of ours. And what are they? If you're going to be a part of this place, understand we're going to ask and expect you to love Jesus, to love people, and to teach people to love Jesus. It's very simple. It's pretty much the heart of the gospel right there. We can't ask someone else to do something that we don't do ourselves. 
And so today marks the beginning of an exciting and a wonderful new chapter in the life of the Open Door Christian Church, our Open Door Christian Church. I'm going to put a pin briefly in our series on Acts for the next five weeks. We're not abandoning it. We'll come back to it. But we're going to put a pin in it and talk about where it is that we are and what God is leading us to and what we need to do in response to us. Because what I realize is that God has been preparing us and we have been preparing for this moment for 11 years. Look around you. We're out of space. And this is our second service this morning. We've got all this beautiful space around us and we don't have a whole lot of space to meet. We have got so many kids wanting to be a part of our youth ministry because Patrick and Cindy and the adults are doing such a great job of it that they're drawing kids like crazy and we need space for them. God has been preparing us for this moment. So what is this? It's going to be an all-out, everybody-on-the-family-bus, trip-to-the-future, God-sized adventure, we-can't-do-it-without-them kind of move. We're not going to settle into where we are and call it good enough. We're going to continue moving forward as God leads us there. It's going to be a look into the heart of God and a look into our own hearts because we have to do that to understand where it is that God has positioned us. It's going to be a trip back into our history and it's going to be a look ahead to what it is that God has called and prepared us for. It's going to be about radical hospitality, about radical generosity and a God-sized dream that can only succeed If we allow ourselves to be generous and joyful as we participate in what God is doing, God is doing among us. God has his hand on us. What are we going to do about it? So I hope that in some way this morning in the weeks ahead, I can convey even a little bit of the excitement and the enthusiasm and the passion that I have, not just for where we are, but where it is that we're going. Why? Because what I realize is where we started out 11 years ago Hoping we might be is where we find ourselves today. And that is being right in the middle, living out the book of Acts, right here in West Central Minnesota. We have an opportunity to be a continuation of the church that God planted 2,000 years ago. And it isn't because any one of us is great. It's because we keep ourselves focused on Jesus and we share what it is that's most important. And so obviously talking about all this, talking about development and buildings and and having new spaces, it's going to require money. We're going to have to talk about money. And it seems like all too often whenever the preacher starts talking about money, we do what we saw the people did in Acts 7. They covered their ears and started screaming so they could hear about anything else. But here's the deal. What we're really going to talk about is God's truth. I want to give you a chance to keep your ears open. And to listen as we talk about God's work among us and the truth of God at work among us and the future that he's leading us into. And it isn't something that we're hoping to start today. It's something that we realize has been going on since our very beginning. And we simply need to seek God's heart and where it is that he's carrying us. See, the thing that's going to be fun about this, and so here's where you can relax. We're going to talk about giving and sharing and stewarding, but it isn't about your money or my money. We're going to talk about doing that with God's money. Because that's really what it is, everything that we have. See, God has generously parked all of his money in our bank accounts, and our checkbooks are just waiting for us to recognize and turn it around and give some of it back to his kingdom. And the reason that you're here, the reason that there's even a place for you to be this morning, is that people who came before you, some of them whom have gone on and are in heaven now, understood that they would never meet you, but that it was their priority in life 
to create a place for you to come and to meet Jesus. And now we get to step into that story and do it for the next generation. So in order for us to take up anything like what we're going to do, we've got to be rooted in prayer and grounded in God's word. So if you would, please, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for every person you have gathered here live this morning and who is worshiping with us online. God, this is your church. This is the church that you have called us to be a part of. And so we think of it as our church. But God, we're only as good as the people that we haven't met yet, the people that we haven't reached yet, the people who are still far from you, that you have put us and gathered us here in this place and time to reach. We're here to grow in our faith, but we're also here to reach others who have yet to begin a faith in you. So God, as we spend time over these next few weeks talking about where it is that you have brought us and where it is that you are carrying us to, God, I pray that we wouldn't have closed ears, but that we would have open ears. And rather than being like those people 2,000 years ago that ran around yelling, God, we want to be people who listen and ask, how can we help? Because the, the, the really exciting thing is, God, is what might you do next? How might you show up? How might you use us? So God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be in us, that he would be with us through all that we do, the conversations that we have, the decisions that we make, that as we move into the future, it would be the future that you have prepared for us and the future that you have prepared us for. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, there was a little book written. You maybe read it. It was by a guy named Bruce Wilkinson. It was called Prayer Jabez. It's a silly little book. It was small, but it was quite profound because it talked about a guy in the Old Testament that only occurs in a couple of verses. The rest of history has lost him. He's gone. But what's interesting, the people who loved that book understood the heart of the book. They understood what he was really saying. He understood what was going on in that text. And then there were some people who took that book and they took it to a very different direction. They took it to mean something else, as though man-made wealth and man-made health are something that God says we have a predetermined right to, and that if we work hard enough for Him and we have great enough faith, God is going to give us more. It's called prosperity theology. It's not biblical. The example that I've always used, if prosperity theology was true, that we are, we are given financial blessings because of the amount of faith, there are 11 families on earth that would still be spending the money of those original disciples. Probably not Judas' family. But the other 11 would still be spending because we've not seen faith like that ever again. Prosperity theology is a man-made theology trying to reward our self-righteous religiousness as though our working for heaven and a place to please God is what he's looking for. We know that that's not true. The Bible teaches us that everything, everything that we have is a gift of God. Everything we have, he has given to us. And we are simply stewards. We're caretakers of those things. And I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. If you think that I'm trying to make up a statement to fit the Bible, let me just give you a little bit of life reality here. Whatever you've got in your savings account, your checking account, your retirement account, whatever you've got in 401ks or whatever else in real estate and property, there's going to come a day when that's no longer yours. That day is the day that you die and you're already making plans for who it is that's going to have it because you know this truth is true. You can't take it with you. You're a steward of it while you live and the moment that you die, it goes to somebody else. We're stewards of the thing that God puts into our care. And he puts those things in our care in order that we might use them wisely and carefully to grow his kingdom. Part of the reason that we saved the name Decision Hills for this campus was because 64 years ago, the Methodist church got this land and they put it to to service of God's kingdom. 
And when we went to meet with them about buying this property, we said, you know, we would be privileged to be the next caretakers of that land because that's what we are. We're not the owners. We're the stewards and the caretakers. God was here at work long before we arrived. And it is our prayer that God will be here at work long after we're gone, whenever that is. Our job is to use the things that God has entrusted to us for his glory. So go back into that little prayer in First Chronicles, this prayer of Jabez. doesn't make sense to us in our ears, and that's why we have a hard time understanding it. But I'm going to explain what the people in his day would have heard and what he would have meant. First Chronicles 4, if you want to read it in your own Bible. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me, enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. It sounds like a selfish prayer. Sounds like a prayer of a self-serving guy that wants more farmland or a place to build a new mall than he doesn't want to get sick. That's not what it is at all. When it says expand my border, it isn't just physical land. See, what the people in Chronicles would have known was that all of their neighbors were not friendly to the people of God. They were not friendly to the nation of Israel. All of the bordering countries didn't want to see good things happen to the Israelites. In fact, they would have been happy if they would have been purged from the face of the earth. They ran about talking about how they were special because God had his hand on them. And so what Jabez is really praying is, God, increase my influence. Increase the opportunity that I have to bring your name out into the areas that surround me. And God blessed and honored his prayer. God granted what he asked for. See, men like Jabez knew that if God increased their territory, God would use them to increase his reach into the surrounding lands and the surrounding people. And so our prayer around here is actually very similar to that. God, thank you for placing your name at the open door. Thank you for bringing us the most important thing that you have on earth, and that is people, precious people whose hearts and minds and souls we have an opportunity to care for. Thank you that your hand is upon us. Thank you that you have blessed us with this land. And the stuff is great, but most important is blessing us with the people because that is God's greatest blessing while we're on earth. If you look in the Old Testament, blessing isn't money. Blessing is people always. What's the real blessing? You are. What's the real blessing to this church? You are the real blessing to this church. See, without God and His Holy Spirit, there's no way that we can do anything that we're talking about now. Just like without God and His Holy Spirit, there's no reason to have a big, supersized dream because there's no way we can carry it out in the human. But we know with the people of God, and we know that putting God at the forefront all the time, God-sized dreams can succeed when they're what He calls us to. So what has God called us to? You've heard me say this for years. God has called us to be agents of change in the culture that surrounds us. Just like with Jabez, the people in the culture that surround us are not always friendly to Christianity. There are people in your family, people that you work with, maybe people that you're married to that are hostile toward you because of your faith in Jesus. That culture that surrounds us is part of the territory that we're asking God to give us. It isn't just land, it's people. It's having opportunities and resources to reach people, to reclaim this area for Jesus. Not just for hunting or fishing or football or whatever it is that people choose to believe in and and get spiritually excited over. No, we're here to reclaim 
this territory for Jesus and to proclaim life in the name of Jesus. And you don't have to be around this place for very long to realize that God has already entrusted us with an awful lot. Look at the people that surround you. This room Sunday mornings is filled with great people. God has entrusted much to us, and God is expecting a lot from us. So we can talk about changing the culture, and there's, there's no single better way to do that than through our young people. If you've been to college, you understand that There is an entire group of professors who wants to shape your thinking at college. There is a move in the United States now to move into high schools and middle schools and grade schools to shape the thinking of our children. Why? Because the world understands, the culture that is hostile to the the good news of Jesus understands that if you can change the thinking of children, you change the culture. Well, guess what? What we're going to do is we're going to out-culture and out-disciple the world. We're going to reach into the world and, and we're going to minister and love and pray with and grow faith in young people. Because when we do that with young people, it extends out to the parents. See, culture understands what it is to shape children. Were you aware that on a Wednesday night, we made the move a few years ago to Wednesday night uh, youth activities here. I wasn't so sure it was going to work, but we felt strongly called to do it. So all of our children's activities have moved to Wednesday nights. Were you aware that on a Wednesday night right now, and this number continues to grow, from uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, there's over 200 young people that gather for youth ministry? Did you know that? You want to talk about changing culture, those adults that volunteer and lead those youth ministries are on the front line of changing our culture in the name of Jesus with those children. Over 200 kids. But you know what's really amazing? That there are parents that have kids in 4th grade and 8th grade that have to drive them to two campuses four miles apart at the same time to drop them off and the same time to pick them up, basically, because that's the only way that we can fit them all in and we're still running out of space. And then beyond that, you know what's really incredible to me? We asked for a 17-mile radius to reach to change the culture 11 years ago. Do you know right now that God is bringing students from seven school districts to Wednesday night youth activities here? Were you aware of that? Woohoo is right. Seven school districts. You want to change the culture? How about we start loving on the kids? How about we teach them who Jesus is and how much he loves them? See, God is already on the move in this place. And and we are one of the vehicles that God is using to change the culture in this area. A couple weeks ago, Cindy started asking around parents, would you be interested in having a preschool ministry for kids on Wednesday night? Not really sure what would happen. Already there's over 20 kids, parents have said, yes, I'd love my kid to be there. That takes our over 200 to over 220. There's nowhere to put them. It's not a problem, it's a blessing. But it's a challenge that we need to address. We've got no realistic space right now for a Sunday nursery or for a preschool area. There's just there's no room for it. We've got two little rooms that were never designed for that in the first place. We have been blessed to run out of space. So one of the things that we need to do that we're going to talk about is we need to find a way to create a building and, and fund a building where we can bring all of our young people onto the same campus where parents don't have to drive all over town getting them to different campuses here. They can bring them right here. One multi-use, multi-function space that doesn't look like school classrooms but looks like the kind of place the kids want to hang out and have fun and learn about Jesus. 
We also have the second half of our purchase agreement to the Methodist Church to take care of. If you're new around here, let me give you a quick rundown. Uh, about four and a half years ago, Memorial Day, four years ago, uh, we made a call to the Methodist Church in the cities their camp board, and asked what they were planning to do with this property. And they said, well, we've got two or three people that are looking to make us offers on it. It looks like it's going to go to development. We said, well, we're looking at 10 or 12 acres kind of on the north end where you've got that cul-de-sac. Would you be willing to talk to us about that? They said, well, you better talk fast because uh, we're looking to sign and sign something next week. So we had a group of guys come out here on Memorial Day. Incidentally, they got tried to get kicked out by a realtor and said, nope, it's already been signed for. And we said, nope, we're invited guests here. And we looked around and we called them back and we said, we'd like to come and talk to you. And they said, can you come down on Thursday? We said, sure. So four of us went down to the cities and met with, I think, eight or six or eight of them. And long story short, they said, tell us your history. Why did you start? So we told them our history. They said, what's your vision? We told them our vision. And their developer, the guy that took care of the the selling and the, the real estate broker of it said, you know, you don't have a 10 acre vision, guys. You have a 70 acre vision. What God has planted on your hearts isn't going to get contained on 70 acres. You're talking 70 acres. And so would you please just write down what you're going to offer us as a purchase agreement? And our guys did. And we sat there and stared at him and said, you got to be kidding, right? The deal was we're going to let you have 10 acres right in the heart of everything, which is basically all the buildings and the worship space. And they were thrilled when they heard that this was going to be our worship space. One of the ladies broke down in tears. We're going to give you that 10 acres for 10 or for $1 million, $10 million. No, they didn't. Give you that 10 acres for $1 million. We'll give you five years to pay it off because it could take a while. But if you pay it off in the first year, we're going to give you a 3% reduction. We paid it off in the first year. They said, you're going to offer us $1.5 million for the surrounding 60 acres around it. And you're going to want that because you're going to want to control the development that happens around you. We're going to sell that to you for $1.5 million, but we're not going to charge you anything for the first five years. If you pay it off in the beginning of year five, we'll give you 3% off again. Well... That clock starts ticking September of next year. And so if we want to be able to control the development in the area around us to become the church that God has called us to be, we also need to pay off that one and a half million. If you know anybody as a part of the camp board of the Methodist Church, just say thank you from a grateful congregation because they've been amazing people. They have made this possible. One of the statements they made was we don't want the excitement of that place to be a millstone around your neck. And so we're going to make it a, a financial burden you can carry. And they've done just that. And so next September, we want to pay off that $1.5 million. Finally, the third phase of it is we need to build spaces, both inside spaces and outside spaces, that we can invite and gather with the community that we're trying to reach, the culture that we want to influence and change for Jesus. We want to create opportunities that they want to come and spend time with us at our place so that we can share with them the love of Jesus seven days a week rather than just hoping they'll come to church and be here Sunday morning for four hours. That's what we use this space for other than Wednesday night. We have four hours. And so we want to build space that people come to on their terms that we can meet with them and talk to them and share the love of Jesus in real and practical ways with them. So how are we going to do that? I guess, number one, we're going to understand that God doesn't look at the things that man looks at because God looks at our heart. God looks where our hearts are and and what our priorities are. And we live our lives having to make those decisions all the time. As a church, our priority is to reach the people of this area and the world with the good news of Jesus because we know salvation is in his name and his name alone. It's not in a politician or a president. It's not in a policy or a bill. It isn't in a tax cut or a tax increase. It's in the name of Jesus. We're called to be a place where our lips speak the name of Jesus 
and praise God and our hearts are as generous as our bank accounts to the world around us that we want to reach in his name. We're not a financially wealthy congregation. But in terms of the things that God looks for, the things that matter to God, we're as wealthy as any congregation in the world. Because of the hearts and the love of you, the people that call this place your church home. There's no congregation out there that could ask for any more in heart and love and passion to reach the world for Jesus. That makes us the wealthiest church in the world. God can work with a place like that. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to every single day, commit time. Commit time every single day to seek God's heart and pray for our church. As we lean into the next chapter of the future that God has prepared us for and has been preparing for us. See, when we commit to that, then we commit to being a part of God's solution to the world rather than a part of the problem. And when we make ourselves and our financial resources available, God can do among us more than we could ever possibly imagine on our own. So this whole challenge, this campaign is to carry God's name into tomorrow through our continued mission, through our growing ministry, and through the movement of God that is happening in this place that you do not want to miss out on. God is at work in this place. And you're invited to be a part of what he is doing in, with, and through us. So what's God doing? I, I truly believe God is calling us all to come together under his banner to claim the culture in this area for the name of Jesus. That's a pretty bold thing for a church to say. But I truly believe that God has put us here to claim the culture in this area for Jesus' name. And so I really hope you will join me in doing that. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people who are gathered here that are online. People that call this place home that are not here this morning. Because, God, you have placed in these people a heart for you that is special. You have placed in them an understanding of who you are and and why it is and how it is that you love us so much. And God, part of the extension of being those people is that we want others to know. We want to reach other people. We want to reach our friends. We want to reach our families. People that we work with, maybe people who are right now hostile to what we believe as followers of Jesus. God, we want to reach them with the good news of Jesus. And we realize that that takes commitment in time. It takes commitment in resources. And it takes commitment in money. And so, God, right now, what we're doing is we're just going to ask everyone to commit to praying. As we go over the weeks ahead, as we step into this this new chapter that you have for us, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work mightily in us. That we would catch a glimpse of the dream, of the vision that you began in this place 11 years ago that we now get to be a part of moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen.